Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry aloud, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Isaiah 42 verses one through four. This is the Weekly Wire brought to you by Christus Rex, a member of the Stoic Christian Affiliates and the Post Militia. Hey everyone, this is C.G. Billiot. Here's the Weekly Wire for the second week of February. Now, as we proceed into the top headlines, I would advise you that uh, right now is a very, very important time to be keeping up with the news. Granted, the last three years could uh, could really prove as a testament to that statement. Uh, but right now, there's all kinds of things, particularly in America, that are concerning for the church at large um, and, and clearly here uh, at home, whether that's all the nonsense going on with the quote-unquote Asbury revivals or the absolute tragedy unfolding with more and more suspicious train derailments around the country, particularly in Ohio. And uh, I'll try to put a plug at the bottom of the blog post. I saw an outrageous article on Al Jazeera, so a Qatari-based, Middle Eastern-based news organization. They ran a story titled, How U.S. Abortion Organizers Are Learning from Honduran Activists. I was going to do this as my primary story today, but no kidding. Uh, They recorded it themselves, and it's a 25-minute read. So I don't think I have quite the time to uh, waste for y'all on that one, but I will put it at the bottom of the blog post. You can read it. Basically how these Honduran communists and drug smugglers are allegedly influencing abortion activists so people can kill their children. Pretty crazy stuff. That's all to say a lot of good, uh, intriguing and important headlines swinging around out there. But this one I find particularly in, uh, intriguing reported by the post millennial quote, Catholic Bishop shot to death in Los Angeles home murder investigation launched. Here we go. Goodness. David O'Connell, a Catholic auxiliary Bishop of the archdiocese of Los Angeles, California was fatally shot on Saturday in what police have said is a, quote, suspicious circumstance. Gracious. All right. On Sunday, the police department said that this incident is being handled as a murder investigation. There is no additional information available at this time, reported the Los Angeles Times. O'Connell, age 69, was discovered dead from a single gunshot wound to the torso in his Hacienda Heights home just before 1 p.m. Broad daylight. That's crazy. Well, I mean, we discovered in broad daylight. We uh, Obviously, we don't know enough yet of when the, the shooting would have occurred. But at any rate, quote, his death is being investigated as suspicious, the local outlet reported, uh, KTLA 5. Parishioners gathered outside of O'Connell's home later on Saturday night to pray. It is unclear if there is a suspect or if the weapon was found at the scene. However, police have maintained that there is no threat to the public unless you're Catholic, alleged, apparently. Uh, according to Angelus, a Catholic news organization from the L.A. area, Bishop Dave, as he was known, was born in Ireland and had been Episcopal 
vicar, or uh, I don't know, you Catholic terms, whatever, for the Archdiocese San Gabriel Pastoral Region since his appointment as an auxiliary bishop by Pope Francis in 2015. He spent, quote, most of his four decades as a priest ministering to L.A.'s inner city. Good grief. Well, that's kind of crazy. Archbishop Jose H. Gomez made the announcement of his death to the L.A. Catholic community, saying, We learned early this morning from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office that they have determined the death of Auxiliary Bishop Dave O'Connell. David O'Connell yesterday was a homicide. We are deeply... Di- oh, okay. Well, there you go. was a homicide. We are deeply disturbed and saddened by this news. Now, it's interesting that he says that, whereas the police statement I just read obviously said, quote-unquote, suspicious circumstance. So, clearly... Um, there's much discussion on this, in fact, being a homicide as opposed to some kind of suicide or accident. Uh, I wish they would just go into more detail about why is this suspicious. But uh, let us continue to pray for Bishop Dave and his family, and let us pray for law enforcement officials as they continue their investigation into this terrible crime, Gomez said. We ask our Blessed Mother Mary to intercede and be a mother for all of us in this moment of sadness and pain. Uh, if only they would look to Christ the same way. Uh, who makes intercession once and for all for all the saints and not anyone else, the one mediator between God and man. But anyway, not the point. Uh, Chair of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, Janice Hahn, also released a statement on Twitter writing, I was very sad to learn of the passing of Bishop O'Connell. He was a longtime friend, and I was fortunate enough to work with him during my time in the city council and again as supervisor. I join with Archbishop Gomez and the people of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles in mourning of his loss. Oh, they've got a picture and everything. L.A. County sheriffs also offer their condolences, saying, Bishop O'Connell was a guiding light for so many, and his legacy will continue to live on. You are not alone in your grief, uh, and the Los Angeles uh, Sheriff's Department is here to support you. Our thoughts and prayers are with you, and we are working diligently to seek those responsible for his death. That's the end of the story. I think it's incredibly interesting that when tragedies like this happen, uh, particularly really, really big ones, school shootings or... Um, some crazy high-speed chase or something that affects an entire community and death and pain uh, abound, that's when you have state institutions, local institutions saying, quote, in our thoughts and prayers. Now, the secularist is infuriated by that because they don't believe in such nonsense, right? Although they believe in all kinds of other nonsenses. Um, but as a Christian or as Christians, we should be frustrated because uh, – you know, for example, years and years ago, Tim Tebow got all kinds of flack for taking a knee on the field to pray. And then when, uh, what was it? What was his name? DeMar Hamlin, uh, Hamlin, uh, you know, collapsed on the field this year. They had no problem with entire teams kneeling on the field to pray and the entire game was canceled. In other words, there's an inconsistency with when, uh, with which we want to turn to the triune God uh, for his help. Uh, his providence, uh, but then when it's not to our liking or to our need or to our custom, to our desire, we put them back on the shelf and just wait to pull the genie out of the bottle again when we need them. But at any rate, we'll continue to pray for the Catholic community there and certainly uh, Bishop O'Connell's family. Now, I pause here before we get to the blast of the past segment. As always, and as I've made known in the last couple episodes, if you've heard my dog running around in the background, uh, I do apologize, but also not apologize. He's a cute guy, and he's trying to eat all my furniture. But at any rate, the blast from the past segment over the last week, uh, I think the most intriguing day had to be February 16th from the Christian Almanac, as always, from Dr. George Grant and Gregory Wilbur. Short plug, again, for 
George Grant. He's the only person on my page I've ever done like a, a shout out to because so help me. Somebody needs to write this man's biography. I would be honored if it was me. He's a fantastic, uh, fantastic historian, pastor, uh, truly one of the unsung heroes of our generation for the church. Uh, but anyway, I could go on and on and on. And uh, the plug I was going to give is you got to listen to his podcast on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You can, you can download their app. They've got all kinds of great stuff. Y'all know I'm a big fan of cross politic. But uh, his show, Resistance and Reformation, oh my goodness, it's just fantastic. It, it just over and over again, story after story after story of the Christians of old from whom we still need to learn, uh, as well as revolutionaries of old of who we need to uh, detract from and resist their influence even today. Basically a saints and scoundrels approach. But nonetheless, I go on and on. Let's look at uh, February 16th through the ages. So February 16th uh, and 1497, shout out to you Lutherans. Uh, Philip Melanchthon, the comrade of Martin Luther and a German Protestant reformer, was born in the house of his grandparents in the electoral Saxon residential town of Breton. He was well-learned and held the position of professor of Greek at the University of Wittenberg. His name in the Greek rendering of the German Schwarzenzerl, I'm sorry about that, guys. My wife speaks German. I definitely don't, so forgive me for that one. It means black earth. It's kind of an interesting note to put in here, Dr. Grant, but we'll keep going with it. It was at Wittenberg that he first met Martin Luther, and in 1521 he wrote, Loci communes, say, I definitely butchered that too. Sorry, Catholics and Lutherans who know Latin, but I definitely don't. A systematic presentation of the principles of the Reformation for people outside the movement. In addition, Melanchthon wrote the Augsburg Confession. He represented Luther at various conferences and also established a friendship with, wait for it, John Calvin. Sorry, Lutherans, I know that's like a sore subject for you. We absolutely love it. Well, some Calvinists do anyway the real ones, but uh, you know, whatever. We can talk about sacraments and stuff later. February 16th, 1519, Gaspard de la Cogne was born in France. He was a French soldier and a Protestant leader who was one of the first victims of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of the Huguenots. I uh, would urge you to study that event as well as the development of the Reformation across Europe. That is certainly one of the sore subjects you will come across. Uh, and by the looks of today, we don't have that kind of kinetic hostility yet uh, amidst the church uh, and the secular world, but we certainly do ideologically, so it's only a matter of time before our thoughts turn into actions. But anyway, not to be morbid or sad or anything. Uh, February 16th, 1804, Lieutenant Stephen Decatur led a successful raid into the Tripoli Harbor to burn the U.S. Navy frigate Philadelphia, which had fallen into the hands of pirates. The daring attack established the reputation of American fighting men as, a most, uh, as amongst the most fearless in the world. Now, this is really intriguing. Um, Y'all know, if y'all know anything about me, I went to the Naval Academy, and uh, there they have a, a monument erected to uh, this war, the series of conflicts, the Barbary Wars, uh, really the first test of the brand spanking new baby American Navy, and uh, Decatur, there's Decatur Hall, there's all kinds of different, um, basically, tributes paid to the man and these uh, events and there's actually quotes uh, hung up around campus. I was in the poli sci department and there was one study room I went to all the time, which had quotes from the uh, Muslims and the pirates in the area who were quoting the bravery and the fearlessness and the ferociousness of the American resolve. Stuff we still need to be inspired by uh, here today. 
February 16, 1838, historian Henry Brooks Adams was born in Boston, the great-grandson and grandson of presidents, the son of prominent diplomat. He was the Brahmin of one of America's most prominent families. In his most famous work, The Education of Henry Adams, published in 1910, he wrote, quote, I want to look like an American Voltaire or Gibbon, but I'm slowly settling down to be a third-rate Boswell hunting for Dr. Johnson. His Cartes and Mont-Saint-Michel would become the most articulate reputation, uh, repudiation of modernism of the Victorian age. All right, that's a whole lot of stuff that I, I know absolutely nothing about, so we're going to keep moving. Maybe that'll be interesting to one of you guys. Uh, 1862, February 16th, 1862, during the war between the states, some 14,000 Confederate soldiers surrendered at Fort Donelson, Tennessee. Union General Ulysses S. Grant, tenacious strategy there, marked the beginning of his rise to prominence in the Union Army and earned him the nickname Unconditional Surrender Grant. Uh, Man, I could really go on a rabbit hole here. I would advise you guys to study uh, the trajectory that Grant took. I will say it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's impressive. Uh, just uh, logistically and geospatially, I traveled across the south, back up to the north, basically, until we get to the famous scene at Appomattox. Um, but unconditional surrender Grant. Uh, that being said, opposed, you know, eventually the south would go through a brutal period of reconstruction, but he still, I will salute the uh, graciousness and the, um, the dignity of Grant uh, when him and Robert E. Lee had finished their session there at the courthouse at Appomattox. Um, he urged and demanded and commanded his, his own men not to clap uh, as Robert E. Lee hung his head low uh, to go back to, towards his own men. And he allowed all the uh, Confederate field generals to retain their sabers. Um, so really a class act guy. Anyway. I, again, I could go on another <laughs> another tangent, but anyway, February 16th, 18, no, I'm going to skip that one, Let's see. Uh, oh, February 16th, 1918, taking advantage of the disarray that en- uh, enveloped Europe in the aftermath of the First World War and the Communist Revolution in Russia, Lithuania proclaimed its independence. That's a whole uh, messy thing. Again, I... I Credit Dr. Grant. I, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I would have known absolute. I still know little to nothing, but I would uh, still be completely ignorant if it weren't for the work of Dr. Grant. I encourage you to listen to his lectures on uh, modernism in which he covers things like the Bolshevik Revolution and the six-year uh, Russian Civil War, of which we talk very, very little. In fact, my favorite lecture I'd recommend, if, particularly if you have the Canon app, uh, listen to his lecture titled Uncivil Wars, and he covers the period uh, that ranges from between the 19th and 20th centuries, in which it wasn't just America, it wasn't just Russia, but virtually on every continent, uh, we, there were these civil wars that had, uh, oddly enough, so many um, characteristics in common, but the overwhelming idea was nationalism or unionism over federalism. But again, I digress. February 16th, 1923, the burial chamber chamber of King Tut uh, was unearthed and uh, unsealed in Egypt. So that's pretty neat. Uh, That really catapulted uh, Egyptology and everything that it has become uh, beneficial to world history and all all sorts of things. Let's see. And then lastly, oh, this is a good one. Uh, actually we'll do the last two. February 16th. Sorry. There's like a dozen entries and I'm just having to pick on the fly, which ones to read. February 16th, 1945, American troops landed on the Island of 
uh, Corregidor in the Philippines during World War II. And on February 16, 1968, in Halleville, Alabama, uh, it was instituted uh, to be the site of the nation's first 911 emergency telephone system. Now, that's intriguing because if you're as ignorant as I am, I maybe it's just a sign of the times or my generation, always just assume that 911 was a product of 911. How silly are we? Had it back in 1968. There you have it, folks. There's your blast from the past. Uh, moving on. We'll give you guys an update on the Christus Rex blog and other platforms. But first, here's a quick ad. Reconstructionist Radio is a reform network that includes a catalog of audiobooks, narrated articles, lectures, podcasts, music, and more. All content emphasizes practical applications of biblical principles meant to encourage the body of Christ to work for the advancement of his kingdom. Everything is free, available to stream online and in their forthcoming mobile app or in PDF form. Put their resources to use or support this ministry at reconstructionistradio.com or check the show notes below for more. Blog and other platforms. Now, uh, short additional shout out here for Reconstructionist Radio. I'm telling you, you've got to get behind that ministry. They do fantastic stuff. Uh, no kidding, library upon library of information made free via audio platforms uh, or PDF. Some of, the, some of the most important books that we need to be reading right now, our generation in particular, and going forward, definitely support them. Give them a listen. I uh, really like made my friend's day the other day by sending them uh, a, a book that was recorded by Reconstruction, Reconstructionist Radio and free on Spotify. So again, support them, check them out. Moving on. Hashtag embrace optimism. This week, the gang got practical and tactical. Posts among the post militia sought to encourage folks to get to work with their hands, strengthened by biblical optimism. Now, there seems to be some confusion. So I don't want to go off on, you know, too much of a sidebar right here. Um, but I've gotten in some de many debates, if you will, with pre-millennial or amillennial folk who are like, you're so arrogant, like, you know, that biblical optimism is biblical optimism. It doesn't have to be rooted in post-millennialism. Sure, I'll grant that to some degree. Uh, but what I would say is that if there is a Christian of a diff different eschatological house or ecclesiastical house, they would be inconsistent from their own system with regards to the kind of optimism that we're calling for. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, is folks, particularly lay people, all right, when we're engaging on social media, re remember our estate. Like, <laughs> folks get – like, at the end of the day, I, 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 I hope that I do a good job on – or we at Christmas Rex do a good job on our platforms of – obviously arguing for various theological positions and assertions, but we do so with the full humility of, hey, look, we're, we're lay people, all right? We're, uh, we are willing to have discussion, to have our minds changed, to work through scripture with other lay persons and ministers. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I, we're, we're remembering our estate um, that we are but humble social media participants. We're not um, the end all be all. We don't have the final words on a lot of these things, though, of course, we want you to believe what we believe. There are many folks who 
like us have social influence or this, that, and the other through media. And you would have thought that they were the popes of their particular theologies and they get very, very heated uh, when challenged or uh, recommended or exhorted or admonished. And uh, let's not be like that. I, I, for a long time, have wanted to do an article titled Smash Mouth Ecumenicism. Um, and I'm still processing the ideas and trying to work it out in pen and paper because I think Gen Z in particular uh, is going to need a way to uh, effectively and efficiently across traditions uh, work together, not just to work through the scriptures, but apply them in our context. I get very frustrated when, um, you know, you say you have a Lutherans and Presbyterians or Baptists and Anglicans who are going at each other's throats over uh, particular and specific doctrines that, while of course that matters, at the same time, we're all in a foxhole playing rock, paper, scissors while the enemy is hard charging the gates. In other words, there are, there are, of course, very, very important issues which uh, have yet to be worked out in the last 500 years of Protestantism or the last 2,000 years of the church that do need addressing in our continued efforts as brothers to sharpen one another towards the ends that God has. However, we would be utter fools if we didn't join together in this particular hour of need to see the issues that are at stake and fight against the pagans on them. Uh, we're going to have that. And that's that's why biblical optimism, for example, from our perspective, has to be distinctive with a long term view in particular, because we are going to we are going to solve those issues. Uh, Christ's prayer of John 17, that the church would be one as he is one with the father, which is a pretty tall order. If you ask me, we believe that Christ wouldn't have prayed for something that he didn't know was going to be accomplished. Right. So that day will come. But until then, we need to fight back against the. Uh, neo-paganism that is rising uh, around us. But remember that the darkness will not overcome the light, John chapter one, right? Um, so anyway, side tangent, basically, yes, there is distinctive biblical optimism of someone from different houses of theology is agreeing to it. They're not being consistent with their own, but that's okay. We'll take them on board and we'll get to marching together. And if you don't know how to handle yourself as a Christian on social media when discussing scripture or uh, issues, uh, then then we really need to work that out, don't we? Anyway, strengthened by biblical optimism. Much like the book of Nehemiah, the Christian life is to be lived with sword and shovel in hand. Build and fight. Christus Rex posted on the roles of family government and the church's obligation to repent, relearn, and reestablish this institution of God, that is the family government. Peter Bacavi, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, formerly Peter Trumbo, uh, posted on the Asbury Revival, more like the Asbury Denial, uh, un unfolding over in Kentucky. Now, I say that because clearly whatever the heck is going on over there is it's just a denial of what, 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 is, what are God's ordinary means of worship and revival. And, and clearly the word of God has not actually been consulted on the issue over there. With fierce argumentation and convicting video footage, he makes it clear that if we are to have reformation and revival, it must be preceded with repentance. We all want the quick fix, don't we? But none of us want to repent. Must be preceded with repentance and submission to God's word. We don't conjure up revival. It is a product of his ordinary means. Go check these out and more from the Post Militia. All the posts and pages are tagged together using the hashtag and other tagging features. Go down the rabbit hole of obedience and see the spoils of joyful plunder. The time for action is now and ahead of us. So get to work. Last thing I'll say on the whole Asbury dealio. Um, 
of, of true revival and reformation being a product of God's ordinary means. Again, this idea that if we just have the right settings, we just have the right <laughs> music, we just have the right folks dressed a certain way, if we have the right tactics and prayer to get people to raise their hands and all these things, they're all products of the second great awakening and the likes of Charles Finney. We fall for these same um, stupid things uh, as modern evangelicals because we don't even know our, our own near history. We're only talking about the last 150 years. Uh, but because we don't know that, we're swindled uh, by the money changers and deceivers who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, so I'd, I'd encourage you, again, whether it's another plug forum, if it's Dr. Grant or other church historians, we, you need to consult uh, what Christianity in America has looked like and what have been the fruits of its labor. Because that's, that's at the end of the day, what does Christ tell us? He tells us to, uh, to judge by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. And particular theologies, particular ecclesiastical practices, particular ministry practices, particular uh, events and patterns of the church in America, I'm telling you, separate the sheep from the goats, go look at the fruits and see what's happened over time. And when man has relied on emotionalism as opposed to scripture, time and time and time again, it has led to uh, major negative uh, impacts, not just on the uh, on the church, but also the culture. Uh, that old saying that the pulpit is the the helm or the steering wheel of the world is so true. And so when the church is acting a fool, we can only expect worse from the culture. All right, I'll get off my soapbox for now. Uh, Q&A and future projects. We're working on various pieces on our end. Again, the many lessons from Joseph piece, uh, the second part to the war on porn campaign. And, and this is long-term, I'm no kidding, it'll probably take me the summer to get through uh, researching, putting this together, but an in-depth analysis of public education, government education, state education, uh, versus Christian education via homeschool or classical Christian education. Additionally, now this, this might intrigue some of you guys, a second person reached out to me about federal vision. Oof. All right, third time is a charm, y'all. If y'all want me as a, as a lay person to discuss my perspective, my experience, my exposure to all the Federal Vision stuff, hit me up. Uh, DM the Christus Rex Instagram page, at uh, rex.christus underscore, or uh, reach out through the blog, um, because that is, that is something we can do an episode on and, and discuss, but only on the condition a third person reaches out to want to hear more about the Federal Vision. And that's going to do it for the Weekly Wire. It's time... For the weekly word. The passage today comes to us from Isaiah 42, which is among the jewels of the servant songs scattered about the end of the book. These songs describe a conquering servant king who, by sacrifice and righteousness, establishes his kingdom on the earth. The last verse reminds us he will fight and ride on until all the earth witnesses his justice. The coastlands, it is said, await his law. There's so much here for the church to learn and remember going forward, but today let's zone in on this. One, there is no justice without judgment. Justice is the fruit of judgment. In our, quote, social justice age, ironically, we can't stand the word judge or judgment. Don't judge me. Such an, ar an archaic term, we say, conveys bigotry or harshness. It also indicates that a judicial figure has to administer such a violent term. We demonstrate all kinds of frustration towards judgment, yet have no problem wielding it ourselves. In fact, we love judgment. 
We love to be the deciders of right and wrong. We love to impose our sanctions upon our enemies. But then we are surprised when there's no justice. Why does this happen? Because God is the judge. Because only his justice is true and lasting. And so we see the greatest injustice that has ever happened on the earth, Christ dying for our sins, is actually the just means by which his kingdom is established on the earth. We are justly the proclaimers of the judgment, the verdict. Christ died for sinners. He is king. Men must submit or face the just consequences, and he will not stop until he's had the whole hog. This is the message of our passage today. Two, lastly, the coastlands await his law. The far-off lands geographically desperately yearn for the order of Christendom, the salvation and teachings of the gospel. The far-off lands spiritually living even in this shadow America we now live in, are awaiting the actual imposition of Christian society because that's justice. Till Christ is king in our land again and his law, we will, we will, be put, uh, we will continue to be put in a downward spiral till we ourselves are beneath his feet, Psalm 110.1. P.S., that is not a favorable position to be in. Till Christ is king in all the earth and Christendom's laws are adhered to, the nation, the earth itself, will continue to rage. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 3. Our responsibility is to be loyal subjects. Our responsibility is to proclaim his kingdom. Our responsibility is to obey the laws of his kingdom and see to it that our nations do as well. For this was his commission. Wherever you find yourself and whatever you find yourself doing, remember, nothing is wasted in faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Sin is dead. Death is next. And Ave Christus Rex. Brothers in Christ, here's a quick word from the Stoic Christian Affiliates. Are you tired of struggling on your own to set goals and maintain accountability? Are you looking for a group of men who could push you in sanctification towards Christ our Lord daily? Do you want to learn from their wisdom, practice their techniques, and develop your own? If so, it's time to join the Stoic Christian Fellowship, where men are trained to become men of God. Click the link below, go to stoicchristian.com backslash fellowship backslash or click the Stoic links on the Christus Rex blog page under the Learn More tab.